Well, turn in your copy of the scriptures or scroll in your Bible app to the Gospel of Luke, specifically Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 25. Luke 15, beginning in verse 25. Uh, If you are physically able, would you please stand in honor of the Word of God being read aloud and follow along silently as I read Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 25 to the end of the chapter. This is what the Word of God says. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're coming to the end of our series within a series as we've paused in our journey through the Gospel of Luke to spend four Sundays in Luke 15, the latter three of which focused on the parable of the prodigal son. Last week we saw the glorious, extravagant love of the father for his long-lost son. He ran to him, right, while he was still a long way off, embraced him, kissed him, and was thrilled that he had returned. He's thrilled to have his son back and puts a a robe on him, a ring on his fingers, shoes on his feet, and throws a party for him, the likes of which we likely can't really imagine or fathom. This was way more than the appetizer tray from Costco that we get at our community group, which we love. But this was way more than that. He killed the fattened calf. Now, this is a big, big deal. This wasn't a, a cookout with burgers and hot dogs. This was the fattened calf. It took a while to fatten the calf. You're fattening the calf so that you can save it and use it for a really big deal, usually something like a wedding. And he killed the fattened calf for this occasion. This was veal. This was being served for anyone and everyone who would come and celebrate the homecoming of his once lost son. And so a slab of meat would be cut and cooked in an oven and served. And then another slab of meat was cut, cooked, and served. Ongoing cooking of fresh veal meant the aroma would have never quit between the cooked meat and the cooking meat, just over and over and over again as it was being enjoyed. How many of our eyes welled up along with Pastor Brad's last week as we looked at the return of the sun? How many of us were stirred 
as we saw the extravagant love of this father for his son. It's a perfect, happy ending. And yet it wasn't the end of the story. Now, look back at Luke 15 and verse uh, 1. Luke 15 verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And then he launches in to three parables. Three parables that follow this theme of lost, found, party. Jesus wasn't telling stories because it was story hour at an Israeli library. Jesus was telling these parables for two reasons. Two reasons. First, he surely wanted to show the extravagant love that he had for sinners. And that was demonstrated in all three parables, right? Lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. The the theme in all three parables, again, lost, found, party. That's obvious. If that were the only reason, the end of the story would have been last week. The end of the parable would have been last week, and it's a glorious way to end the parable. Look back at verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. And the screen fades to black, and the credits roll, and we're crying, and we leave. It's a great way to end a story, but it's not where it ends. It turns out to not be the perfect ending, but the perfect middle. And that's because what started this whole thing was way back in verse 1, when the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus' purpose in telling these stories was, yes, to show his extravagant love for sinners. Check. That was done. We, we've, we've covered that. And to show how the hearers, the Pharisees and the scribes, stood in stark contrast to that love. We've seen his love, but the Pharisees haven't yet seen themselves in the story. I always think it's wise to tell people when you're reading a parable, you want to find yourself in the story. Asking God, who am I most like? Understanding in the story who the heroes are, who the zeros are, and who would the Lord have me aspire to be like? Who ought I most, who ought I imitate in this parable? Two weeks ago, we looked at the prodigal and saw that every one of us could relate to him, right? You're that guy and I'm that guy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have in some way gone our own way. But quite frankly, the Pharisees haven't yet seen themselves in the story. In fact, the thoughts and feelings you perhaps had as we looked at the extravagant love of Christ represented by the Father in this story, those are great feelings, those are great emotions, wonderful sentiments, But you need to know those are not what the Pharisees and the scribes would have been feeling at this point. And they can't identify to anybody they've heard about in the uh, the parable of the prodigal son. They surely don't see themselves as the prodigal, right? They're really angry at the prodigal. They can't believe that this happened. That they surely don't see themselves as the father. Maybe they saw themselves potentially as the father because they're like, he's going to exact justice on the son if he ever sees him again. Or he's going to ostracize him from the family if he ever sees him again. But now that ship sailed, right? Because the father not only didn't do that, but went to the extreme opposite extreme and welcomed him back. And so the Pharisees are seeing nobody in this story that they can identify with. They can't find themselves in the story. They would have never done what the younger son did. 
outwardly. They've been let down by the father. They would have hoped the story ended with the father publicly beating the son or stoning him at the city gate. But there's one more character that, as you'll soon see, they can relate to just fine. Luke 15, look at verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Now, practically speaking, the amount of time that elapsed in verse 24 alone had to be at least a few days. Look again at verse uh, 24, because verse 24 is the end of what we looked at last week. Uh, for the, the, the father is looking at the servants, uh, the members of his household staff, and in verse 24 he says, for this My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See that? There's a period right there. Then the next word, and, they began to celebrate. That had to be at least a few days, right? Because that's when the son comes back, and now he has this play. He's he's going to throw a party, but that didn't happen just like that. Like, they had to kill the fattened calf, right? They had to hire the musicians. They had to make all the arrangements. It was a whole thing. So this didn't happen just instantaneously. So... The fact that the older brother had no idea what was going on tells us something about the state of his relationship with his family to begin with. He's there, but he's not present. He doesn't have the presence of mind or heart to wonder what's been going on or to care about what's been going on. Yesterday, a neighbor of ours dropped by, uh, knocked at the door in the late morning, Um, And I opened the door, and he was letting me know that his adult son uh, had been in a terrible car accident out of town, and he hadn't been in town for a a while, and he wanted me to know so that I could, you know, keep an eye on his house, make sure there's, he said, the only only car that should be in my driveway would be my wife's car. And I said, sure, I can definitely do that, but I'd I'd be happy to also pray for you and pray for your wife and pray for your son. This seems like a a terrible tragedy. So I said I would be happy to do that and happy to pray for him, which I did. And then he left. Maybe 20 minutes later, I'm in the kitchen, uh, and my son Jonathan comes in, and he goes, what did Mr. Steve want? Now, Jonathan wasn't with me at the door with my neighbor, but he was present in the house and had an awareness. Dad was standing at the door talking to a neighbor. This doesn't typically happen. So, what, hey, what, how come he came by? Jonathan was not with me, but he was present. Does that make sense? He, he was present enough to know something happened, and so he inquired about it. The fact that the older brother had to ask what was going on shows a, a lack of presence of mind. He's there, but he's not present. At best, he's politely aloof, going about his day, completing his tasks, doing his job, then going to his bed and getting up and doing his thing once again. But care for and awareness of others was certainly not his strong suit by any stretch of the imagination. Pick it up in verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Now, in the Greek, the verb for called is in what we call the imperfect tense, which means it's a repeated action. So he didn't ask once. But he asked and asked to get, what's going on? What's, how come this, what's happening? Why is there a party? How come I wasn't consulted? Why, what is happening? How, how could I not know about this? Just ask over and over and over again. 
Also in verse 26, the Greek word for servants is not the typical word that we use for servants, which is usually one that, it's actually many times in the New Testament, it's, it's slave. This one actually indicated that he was asking a young, likely pre-adolescent male, which you can understand, right? Like in the party, usually many times, right? If you're at a wedding reception or something, like all the adults are inside and the kids are outside playing and they're hanging out. They got a little bored or whatever. They're doing whatever they're going to do. And so now this is a pre-adolescent boy that he's gone up to and he has asked. And he's, you know, you, hey, what's going on? Why isn't, why, why wasn't I, what is going on? What's, why is there such a party? I, I wasn't, what you, come here. What, tell me, what's going on? How come this happened? Verse 27, and he, this servant boy, said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was received, and, and because he has received him back safe and sound. That expression, safe and sound, comes from the same Greek word, we get the word hygiene from. It's, it's more than just safety. It's, it's a, it speaks of wholeness, of, of cleansing, of health. The servant boy wasn't just saying his older brother was home and healthy and happy, but that there had been a, a radical change for the better. A radical change. You're not going to recognize. Your brother's come home. Your father's killed a fattened calf. And man, does he look different. I mean, man, does he sound different. This is total night and day, bro. You won't even recognize. He is different. He has changed. And on top of all that, his father had received him and the relationship was restored. Maybe even better than it was previously. Verse 28 says, but he was angry and refused to go in. Point number one. If you can't celebrate God's saving grace at work in others... It's because you never received it yourself. If you can't celebrate God's saving grace in others, it's likely because you never received it yourself. We're going to unpack that, but that's what's happening here. A great work has happened in this older brother's younger brother. A great work has has happened in his life, and he can't celebrate it. He has no desire to celebrate it. In fact, quite frankly, he hates it. And if you can't celebrate God's saving work in somebody else's life, if that causes you to feel anything other than absolute joy, absolute celebration, a desire to throw a party, it is likely because you don't have a reference point for that And you don't know why you would celebrate such a thing because this person is not getting what they deserve. And there's several sub-points under that. First, you'll never never celebrate new life because you'll remain dead inside. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, in your outline, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In the book of Revelation chapter 3, it says this, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. Look, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. If you can't celebrate 
the saving grace of God at work in others, it likely is because you're remaining dead inside. That life that somebody else has in their hearts, in their minds, that new life, if that doesn't strike a chord with you, if that doesn't bring a tear to your eye or a smile to your face or gratitude to your heart, it's probably because you're, you yourself on the inside are not experiencing that new life as well. Uh, Luke 15 and verse 28 says, But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and what? And beat him. No, which he had the right to do. His father came out and rebuked him. No, which he had the right to do. His father came out and said, Get in this house. Go to that room. We'll deal with this later. I have a party to go to which he had every right to do, and he did not do that. What did he do? His father came out and entreated him, entreated him. And verse 29 says, but he answered his father, all right, look. Look, all right, I'll tell you how it is. I'll tell you what's going on. Look, these many years I have served you, in the Greek, slaved for you, He's not even using familial terms. These, these many years, I have been your slave. And I never disobeyed your command. You might be a parent. You might not be a parent. But you've at all times, at some point, have been a child. How many of you believe that this guy never disobeyed at all up until that point in his life? Clearly he has. But that brings me to my next point. You'll be deluded into thinking you're better than you are, so you'll never think you need God's grace. And that's what's going on here. Look, these many years, I've slaved for you, and quite frankly, I have a stellar record. I'm batting a 1,000. I've never disobeyed. And so, for you to understand this point, Here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think, are you perfect? He's not really, in my opinion, under the delusion that he's perfect. I think he's emoting. Nobody, if, if, if anybody walked up, you could be an atheist, be like, are you perfect? And you're like, no, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Like, that's just common sense. You don't need a Bible to know that you're not perfect. But that's totally different from this question, which I want to pose to you. When was the last time you were wrong? I'm like, when was the last time you were wrong? Everybody's happy to say they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not like God. Great. Congratulations. None of us are perfect. But that's completely different than me asking you, but when was the last time you were wrong? Because he has such a high view of himself, he can't remember. He can't remember ever disobeying his father, much less just the most recent time that he was wrong. And friends, quite frankly... As a Christian, as someone who is self-aware, you should be able to answer that question pretty quickly. When was the last time you were wrong? Uh, Sarah and I have these things that we, uh, these weekly meetings that we have been having to, she's grinning, that we've been having together as we go over just, really, it's not a date, it's not, it's not romantic. It's making sure our calendars are on the same page, making sure that we're on the same page budget-wise, making sure that we understand who's responsible for what. We just found that we were kind of missing each other, and there kept being unmet expectations. And so we, maybe this is just common. I mean, we probably should have been doing it for a long time, but now we have a weekly meeting 
that we talk about the things. And sometimes that meeting goes so well, and other times it does not go that well. It always, actually, even when it doesn't go well, it goes well, because we have been able to work things out sooner rather than later. We've been able to not have unmet expectations. But this past week, uh, I did not do so well in said meeting. And so we had a discussion, and it got emotional, and there were things that I did wrong that I then said, you know what, you're right, I'm, I'm wrong. I, the way I said that, the way how I communicated that revealed my heart's not in a good place at this, at this, over this thing. I'm, I'm wrong. She apologized to you guys, okay? It wasn't just me, but I, I was wrong. That's the last time I was wrong. Uh, we have stand-up meetings uh, at work, and a stand-up meeting is something that I'll have with my team. We stay standing up so the meeting stays short, and we're just making sure that we're, again, kind of on the same page, like, okay, what do you have going on this week? What are your goals this week? What are you doing? But it's not such that it's going to last an hour. If it has to be spoken about later, let's make another time to talk about it. But let's meet early in the week, and let's just talk about where we're all at. Well, at a stand-up meeting a few weeks ago, um, it had somebody on my team had uh, said, yeah, I missed, basically, I dropped the ball on this. So, yeah, I dropped the ball on this. And then as they said that, I was like, ooh, okay, that's rough, but okay. But then I started thinking of the trickle-down effect of that. And so in that moment, I was like, oh, this is bad. This is, ooh, this is. And then I just said this is bad in nine different ways. This is bad. This is not good. This is not helpful. This is not good. And I'm literally just verbally, emo- as I'm thinking, ooh, wow, oh, not good, oh, bad. But do you understand this team member came saying, I messed up, I dropped the ball in this area. And that's not the kind of leader I want to be, where I'd be like, oh, this is bad. Let me tell you nine times why it's bad. In front of the other people, because that's so fun. And so it hit me, and I called this person and said, hey, listen, I didn't do well there. I don't think that's typical, but regardless, I was out of line. It was unhelpful. It was probably embarrassing to you. And quite frankly... It didn't get us anywhere near. You came saying, I, I messed up on this, and I was like, yeah, you did. And I didn't mean to, like, rub your nose in it, but it probably came off that way because I was just thinking through the different things. Forgive me. I was wrong. Can you remember the last time you were wrong? If you can't, it's not because you're on a hot streak. because you are unaware. Unaware. You likely will have an inappropriately high view of yourself that's inaccurate. So I'm not perfect. I know. You're living and breathing. I know you're not perfect. How have you demonstrated that recently? When was the last time you were wrong? I don't know. Not a good sign. You are impressed with you. And if you're impressed with yourself, you won't be impressed with God. You just won't. You'll think you're a, you're a self-made woman, a self-made man. You'll start recounting your wise decisions and how all your plans came to fruition and all your amazing ways. And you might give God a nod, but it's just a nicety. You're glad he was along for the ride. It's a good look to be able to say, and God has been so good. You're glad he was involved. His grace is nice to have. Did you need it? Uh, 
I think it would have been okay without it, but it was a lot better with it. People who can't celebrate the grace of God in others are deluded into thinking they're better than they are. So they'll never think they need God's grace. They'll never think they had God's grace. They just think they're just killing it. Proper planning prevents problems. What can I say? I don't know. I'm not an idiot. If you can't celebrate the grace of God in others, you're likely deluded into thinking you're better than you are. And so you likely don't have an appropriate appreciation of God's grace in your life. So why would you celebrate it in somebody else's life? Uh, Letter C. You'll be angry that God hasn't given you what you want for your selfish desires. If you notice in verse 29, he says, I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. If you lack an awareness of God's grace at work in your life, you'll lack gratitude for how God's grace has provided all you've ever needed because you'll be too focused on how you haven't gotten what you wanted. That's what the older brother is doing here. I haven't gotten what I wanted. You haven't given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And instead of being grateful for all that God has given you in life and breath and and, and people and a home and health and whatever, the things you just take for granted every day, you will always keep a list of where God in your mind has fallen short. Uh, Where the prayers that you've prayed have been unanswered when in reality they have been answered. The answer has just been no. Told my kids that before. No is an answer but you'll be angry that God hasn't given you what you want for your desires, for your plans, instead of realizing, you know what? God doesn't lack the ability to give me what I'm asking for, so it must not be best. I wish it was. I'm disappointed, but I'm trusting in God. Letter D, you'll view others according to what they've done instead of who they are. Look at verse 30. But when this son of yours, not my brother, surely not a name, this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes loves calling that out. I've never disobeyed. I've never disobeyed a command. You've never given me a goat. This guy's been hooking up with prostitutes and you've killed the fattened calf for him. You'll view others according to their record. Instead of celebrating repentance and forgiveness and growth and change in people's lives, you'll be like, yeah, but, I, but, but you still did the thing. You still did what you did. Sure, certainly God has forgiven you, but you did something that you had to be forgiven for, and that something was kind of gross. You are forgiven because you did it. God's grace has covered it, what you did. It will always land with the record of what the person's done. Not how God views them, but how you view them. And that's what this older brother is saying. This son of yours, again, not, I'm not even, it's almost like he's like, I'm not even related to him. Ugh, this son of yours devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. 
Letter, letter E, you'll be too bitter, angry, and proud to listen to God's call to come home. Look at verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. This hasn't changed. You are my son. I'm your father. You're always with me. All that is mine is yours. Particularly, like, you're my eldest son. So actually, you have more coming to you than, like, than he does. All that is mine is yours. This hasn't changed. We're still the same. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate. The better translation in the Greek, but we had to celebrate. This wasn't even an option. Like We had to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. But if you can't celebrate the grace of God, the saving, sanctifying grace of God at work in somebody's life, you'll be too bitter and angry and proud to listen to God's call on your life, your life, my life, to come home. And finally, letter F, you'll remain an enemy of God instead of becoming his child. The title of the sermon is Choose Your Own Adventure. How many of you remember those books, the Choose Your Own Adventure books? I was talking to my wife about it. She loved them. I was like, oh, I could choose your I hated them. I didn't sit down to read so I could work. You tell me how the adventure goes. It seems lazy. It just strike like the author is not like, okay, what, you couldn't decide on an ending? I'll put all three in and I'll let the kids choose. Well, good for you. It made money. But I don't want to choose. I want to read. I'm back. I'm, it's okay. <laughs> choose your own adventure. Instead of the parable ending with the celebration we looked at last week, where the whole story would have been resolved, and beautifully, I might add. It ends here, unresolved. Do you see that? Unresolved. Look how it ends. We hear the Father say what he says, but then that's the end of the chapter. Uh, Luke 16, it's like, Luke, baby, you're killing me, Smalls. What ha- did he go back in? Did, what happened? Did the conversation ensue? Did he go back in? Did the father and the son keep talking? Did they embrace? What happened? I don't know about you, but for some reason in my mind, I always assumed the older son went to the party. Like after his father had that discussion, the older son went into the party. I don't know if it's because I watched Superbook as a kid, if you remember that at all. Really poorly made videos that showed biblical accounts. I think, I think maybe he might have gone in or left you with the impression that he gone. I don't know why, but I was always left with the impression that he, came, he too came to his senses and went in. But it's not in the text. I think it's probably my desire for a happy ending. 
or for a father to be able to win the heart of his son. Or my desire to flash back to what would have been a happy ending, what we looked at last week. It's like, oh, please bring that feeling back. But the bottom line is, frustrating as it may be, we're not told what the older brother did. And so we get to, in a sense, choose our own adventure. But consider this. First of all, the prodigal son represents sinners. At first glance, we think he represents really wayward sinners. Even they can be saved. But, but, but if the Bible levels the playing field for sinners in that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And so you're that guy, I'm that guy, we've covered that. The prodigal represents all sinners. And so we look at the prodigal being welcomed home, and we can be stirred afresh and new about our relationship with the Lord if we are believers. The father represents God, but if I more specifically, he represents God the son, Jesus Christ. His pursuit of the younger son while he was a long way off, his reaching out to the older son, seeking to win his heart. Both of these imply love, which we see in God the Father, and mercy, which we also see in God the Father, but it also implies shame and reproach and being willing to take it on the chin on behalf of others, which we see primarily in God the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah 53, which reminds us what he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. The father in this story is taking it on the chin. Hopefully we realize that. The reason Jesus added an older brother to the scene was so the Pharisees could finally find themselves in the story. The older brother represents them. Impressed by themselves, unimpressed by God, not in need of any grace, looking alive and well on the outside, but absolutely dead inside, angry, bitter, looking out for number one. And so let's imagine for a moment uh, that the Pharisees hear this parable, which ends with the father entreating the older son to come inside and celebrate with him. And the Pharisees say, so what happened? What happened next? How did it end? If the Pharisees asked that, Jesus might have well said, that's up to you, bro. You're that guy. You're the older brother. Choose your own adventure. The parable is almost a depiction of Jesus' ministry up until that point. The older brother, mad at the father. The Pharisees, mad at Jesus. What happened next? Jesus says, ball's in your court. And in your outline, I've listed several verses to remind you of what they plan to do to Jesus. How many times it's mentioned in the scriptures, Luke 22, verses uh, 1 and 2. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how 
to put him to death. John 5 and verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. John 7 and verse 1. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. John 8 and verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, Jesus says. John 8 verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. John 11 verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And so with that in mind, let me suggest to you an ending to the story that I think fits well. Pick it up in verse 28, and I'm going to read through verse 32 and then add an ending. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. But the older brother was enraged with his father. He picked up a piece of lumber and beat him to death in front of everyone. Because just a few months after Jesus told this parable, that's what they did. At their request, God the Son, Jesus Christ, was crucified, nailed to a piece of lumber in front of everyone. They never entered the party. Acts 2.23, this Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, they are credited with his death. This parable is the greatest short story ever told with what I would suggest would be a tragically unhappy ending with a phenomenal sequel. I mean a phenomenal sequel. When they did their best to do their worst, they accomplished God's best. Jesus' death on the cross. They got him. He was bigger than death itself and that he overpowered death and rose from the grave victorious. It's a phenomenal sequel. Jesus' death is bigger than our sin, our pride, our shame, our envy. It's a phenomenal sequel. The chasm created by your sin and my sin between me and God 
is deep and wide. But thanks be to Christ that what he did is bigger than what you've done, which is why we can put our faith and trust in him and him alone for salvation. I preached three funerals this year so far. Jeff Rose is part of the sequel. Jody Schmidt, part of the sequel. Violet Prather, part of the sequel. And the sequel is amazing. This story ends what seems to be sad. But when we realize that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and has had victory over the grave, we realize the sequel is amazing. And finally, the invitation to come home and celebrate is still open to all today who would put their faith and trust in Christ. Second Corinthians 5, verses 20 and following. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled for God. But to God, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Revelation twenty two seventeen. the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Because Jesus paid it all and nothing do you owe. What about you? Find yourself in the story. Have you entered into that eternal rest? Have you entered into that celebration? Are you still outside with your arms folded? Still thinking you're, you're, you're kind of a big deal. You're not perfect, but you're kind of a big deal. Or do you realize everything, what do you have that you have not received, the Apostle Paul says, right? You, God has blessed you and blessed you, and blessed you with grace. But if you don't know that, I hope that you'll be more like the younger brother, less like the older brother, and you will come to Christ. You will put your faith and trust in him, knowing that he saves to the uttermost, and that the invitation is still open today, because I hope and I pray you will join me in being part of the most amazing sequel ever. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the truth of your gospel. We are so grateful uh, to have a heavenly father who sent his son that we might be saved. Oh, God in heaven, Will you touch each and every one of us where we are right now? For those of us who are saved, remind us of the grace of God that we have. Remind us that we are nothing without you and everything with you. And Lord, would you work in the hearts and minds of people who know you not? And would you call them to yourself? Would you add souls to your kingdom this day by your grace, in your mercy, for your glory and for their good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are-